Well, welcome, 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 welcome. So glad you're here today. Welcome to those in 101, 102, and those joining us online. So um, this is week two of our sermon, um, part two of our sermon trilogy from the Gospel of Mark. And um, if you've been with us this year, we were working through the entire Gospel of Mark um, through three different sermon series. And last week we started um, part two the Messiah. And the Messiah whole theme is based from this in chapter 8 of Mark, starting in verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? His disciples respond, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And Peter responds, You are the Messiah. And the whole goal of this series is to ask the question, what does it mean, or what are the implications of our confession, Jesus is Messiah? And so um, we're going to dive into that today. Um, And also, for those of you, I know there's some of you probably looking right now for notes on version. They're not there. We are moving them to test some things out. And so if you want, you can go to shilohroad.com slash notes, and there is a section on our website, and it allows you to add your own notes. And then there is also a section on our app. Um, if you go to Shiloh Road, connect, um, connect, worship, and then sermon notes. You can find them there. So it's not on you version. It's moved. Um, and we would love some feedback on um, how you're liking that over the next several weeks, and if Everyone hates it, we'll go back to you version. I know several people use that and like it, but we want to test this out. So, so what does it mean? What are the implications of this confession? Jesus is Messiah. What were the confessions when Peter said it? What did Peter have in mind? But more importantly, what are the, conf- the implications for you and I of that confession? If you remember back to the first series in the series new we were simply asking the question who is jesus and we get to this really pivotal hinge moment in the gospel of mark in chapter 8 where this confession takes place that jesus is the messiah and so what we're asking in this series is what are the implications of that if you confess that jesus is messiah what does it mean for you and there's several things i want you to notice in this next section as we work through chapters 8, 9, and 10, um, kind of preparing us for something, there's a couple of different things that are happening. One, Jesus is introducing this completely upside-down kingdom. And one of the ways that he uses um, this, this idea of this upside-down world is speaking to us in paradox. Right? And, and if you are sitting here thinking, okay, I'm trying to remember back to middle school, high school, what is a paradox? A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So, So it's this idea that we say something and you hear it at first glance and it's like, that's ridiculous, that cannot be true but the, the more you think about it, the more you process it, the more you look at it, 
there starts to be some truth that, that comes out of the statement. Some, some paradoxes that um, you could think of. If I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. Anyone ever hear that? Two people? Yeah, one or two? Yeah, some nods. If I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. Here's another one. Here are the rules. Ignore the rules. And then this one will blow your mind. Okay, ready? Ready? The second sentence is false. The first sentence is true. I'll, I'll just leave that with you for a couple minutes. Yeah. Round and round. Yeah. So, so Jesus is going to start using some paradoxes to explain this upside-down kingdom. This kingdom that doesn't quite make sense to us. And then the second thing is Jesus is on a journey. All right? Jesus is going somewhere. All right? so, so going back to um, verse 27 of, of Matthew 8. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them. And so over the next several chapters, you're going to start to see these phrases occur. On the way, along the road, on the path. And, and what I would like you to do, if you have a, a real like paper Bible, um, and if you don't, if you have these electronic Bibles, um, highlight them. Circle them. When you see these phrases pop up. Because they're going to pop up because Jesus is on this journey. And he's not just saying, hey, we're, we're going down this path or this road. He's leading the way for his disciples and asking them to follow him on this path and on this way. So Jesus' teaching starts to become real to them. He's not just asking them to go and not going with them. He's actually leading the way and letting them follow. And now, understand this. Mark starts putting these phrases in along the way here, chapters 8, 9, and 10, to, to really draw our attention to it. But it's been happening the whole time. These disciples have been with him on this journey, walking with him, seeing everything that's been happening. And then we come to this point in chapter 8 where Peter stops and he says, okay, wait, I believe you our Messiah. Which, as we said, there's some really big implications, but Peter doesn't get there just real easily. This has been a journey, this progression as he's working through trying to make sense because, well, is Jesus this healer? Does he just have like supernatural power? Is he a prophet speaking for God? Or is he Messiah? See, Peter's learning these lessons, I think, along the road, but he's learning in the hard way. Not, not just sitting in a classroom where someone's telling him, Here, here's what you need to know. He's actually walking this road and trying to make sense of it for himself. And you can understand that, right? There are some lessons you learn better through the experience of it than for someone just telling you. We, we don't in our churches probably need so much this just simply book knowledge for a lot of us. 
We need the experience of walking with Jesus and what it means to actually be his disciple, living it out in everyday life. Now, this aids that, but we need that experiential knowledge. So um, a couple things came to my mind when I was thinking. Actually, I had to ask my wife to think back for me because I can't think back anymore. But when I first met my father-in-law, um, we went hunting. Now, just some disclaimers. I grew up in Garland, Texas, and um, I played baseball and football, and one of the things I did not do is go hunting. And so guns were kind of foreign to me, and so my father-in-law says, okay, here's this, this rifle, we're going to go hunt pigs. So there, there's these feral hogs all over their property, and we're going to go take some out. And so he gives me this deer rifle, high-powered rifle, and says, okay, here's, here's the basics of it. Shows me where the safety is and how to load it and unload it and all that. And so we go out on the creek, and we're, we're looking for deer. And we get to this, this clearing, and we see this herd of pigs. He says, all right, let's be really still. And we're going to wait for them to come out in the open, and we're going we're gonna to shoot. And so don't have a lot of experience with this, and so I take the safety off, and I aim the gun, and I shoot, and I like to think shooting into that big of a, a herd that I hit something, but nothing dropped, but I still think I hit something. And so we, he goes, okay, go ahead and reload, and I'm going to go around this creek bank, and I'm going to chase them back out into the open. And when they come back into the open, you shoot. And so he goes down, and he chases them out, and I, I shoot again, and I, I still, I, I think I hit something again. Most likely, um, hit something. And then he comes back, and we're standing around. He goes, okay, now do you remember how to reload? And I said, I, I think so. And he says, is your safety on? And so he's standing right here, and I'm standing right here, and I have my gun fixing to hand it to him, and he says, is your safety on? And I said, yes, boom. <laughs> Just so you know, my safety wasn't on. And it scared the living daylights out of me, because if you've ever fired a high-power rifle with one hand... Not a great experience. But, but I learned a lesson that day. I learned a lesson that you don't check whether the safety is on or not by pulling the trigger. Not, not the best way. Another lesson I learned the hard way when we first had Gracie. She was still like in a car seat and I had, um, was home, it was my day off, and I took her to the store. Needed to get a couple things, and I came home. And we were in this phase, this is our first child, where, you know, if a pacifier falls on the ground, you, you know, you burn it or boil it or something like that and make sure that it's, you know, you get to the fourth kid and it's just like, eh, whatever. Um, but we were boiling bottles to cleanse them and make sure they were really clean. And so I put a couple bottles on the stove and boiling water and um, got my child and went to the store and forgot the water was boiling on the stove with the bottles in it. 
And I came home to a house completely filled with smoke. And did you know those metal pans can melt? Yeah. Crazy. They can melt on the stove. And so I came home to this house full of smoke with a pan melting on a stove. Let's just say it's a mistake I never made again. There are those moments in your life that you look back and you learned a lesson probably the hard way and you're probably not going to forget it again. I'm guessing along the way the disciples had these moments where they are learning lessons that are just blowing their mind. They're, They're learning some lessons they're never going to forget. That they're memorable. And so Jesus and Peter have this moment where Peter makes this confession. You are the Messiah. He believes that. He's learned that. He's fixing to start learning the implications of that. And right after this confession, this happens. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests of and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So so there's this crazy moment where Peter says, I believe you are Messiah. And because I believe you are Messiah, there are some implications that are really important. And Jesus tells him that I'm going to die, I'm going to have to give up, lay down my life, I'm going to be rejected by the religious people, and I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, that's not going to happen on my watch. I'm not going to let that happen. Which, to me, I would think, bravo, Peter. Someone's going to stand up and someone's going to fight for Jesus and do what's needed. But Jesus looks at him and he says, get behind me, Satan. Why the swing? Why? Because, see, here's the deal. And Peter understands this. Messiahs don't die. And a Messiah that did die would be proved a false Messiah. Now, now there's this, these passages throughout the Old Testament that, that talked about this. But their expectations of what that was going to look like didn't match up. And so Peter, with the best intentions of the world, in the world, says, no, no, no. This is not going to happen this way. And he responds, get behind me, Satan. So why does Jesus call Peter Satan? Or or tell him to get behind him? And Mark is going to explain this over the next several chapters But he starts giving us a few hints along the way. 
one of the things you'll notice in verse 31 and 33 is what Mark calls Jesus, or what Jesus in those passages calls himself. He says, the Son of Man will be rejected. So, so Mark and Jesus here is pointing back to something, which is Daniel and Zechariah language. He, he's halfway quoting, he's hinting at, he's pointing back to these ancient prophets and understanding himself, his vocation, his purpose as this Messiah, this Son of Man who's going to suffer but bring redemption to the people, who's going to eventually set the people free. But this is this deeply cryptic message. It's this message that if you don't have some understanding of the Torah, the Old Testament, the prophets, that it doesn't quite make sense. I, one of my favorite shows, um, and I, I became a huge fan of it in college, was Seinfeld. Any Seinfeld fans in here? Some, some. So I have a really bad habit. I will quote Seinfeld all of the time. Someone will say something, and a, something from Seinfeld pops into my mind. This last week we were talking about what we wanted to do for Mother's Day here as our church, and, and the first thing that popped to mind was George sitting in a diner, and he had received a card. He had given a, a guy named Tim Watley Yankee tickets and Tim sends him this card that says a donation has been made in your name to the Children's Alliance. And George gets so upset and says, don't you see how wrong that is? I gave him Yankee tickets and he gave me a card saying I've given your gift to someone else. The, the people who are Seinfeld fans are, are watching and they're imagining this. George's response is for Christmas, he gives everyone a donation to the Human Fund. He, he makes up a an organization called the Human Fund says it's um, money for people and just gives these cards to people as Christmas gifts. Which, which back, it's, it's hilarious. But so, so I have this really bad habit of my wife will say something. My wife is not a Seinfeld fan. She gets annoyed when I watch it most of the time. But she'll say something and I'll quote Seinfeld and I get frustrated that she doesn't get it. Like, that was the most beautiful use of a, a quote ever, and you missed it, okay? So, so raise your hand again, Seinfeld fans, so I can, okay, there we are. I, I'm just taking, yeah, I, I just need to know who I can quote to and feel safe, okay? Not be looked down on. But, but Jesus here is, in a way, pulling back some of those references and he's saying, I need you to get this. I need you to understand. Because remember, he's on this journey. And he's not just saying, hey, I'm going somewhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> now I'm really in trouble. <laughs> um, where were we? Yes, I'm in trouble. That's right. You need to get this. Yes, I, I want you to get this. That, that this is my vocation. This is how I see my purpose. I'm going to come into this world. I'm going to be rejected by the religious establishment. I'm going to suffer and die. This is where I'm going. And this is actually what the prophets had been pointing to the whole time 
and you seem to miss it on this journey. You, you, you haven't grasped what we've been saying. This is my destiny. And not only is this my destiny, this is so important. Not only is this my destiny, you must be prepared to follow in my steps. I'm not just teaching you where I'm going. I'm not just going to tell you this is where you should go. I'm actually going to walk this road and I want you to follow my steps. See, Peter struggled, as do we, to live life from a kingdom perspective. Right? We struggle so badly to live our life from a kingdom perspective. Because what Peter falls trapped to, you and I do as well. We look out and we think this is the way things are supposed to work. If, if you want the kingdom, then we're going to have to stand up and fight for it. We're, we're going to have to make sure we impose our will. And force is the only way to achieve it. And Peter finds himself in this moment. Where he loses that kingdom perspective. And what Jesus says is anything, anything that is in opposition to my way must be called out for what it is. It is the spirit, the voice of Satan, the evil one, the accuser, and it must be ignored. To see things from that kingdom perspective. See, because Peter believed this lie. That self-sacrifice could not possibly enter or bring on the kingdom. There had to be a different way than laying down your life and dying. There has to be a different way. You cannot give up and expect the kingdom to come in power. Do you remember back, and Seth, fantastic job reading this morning. So, so proud of you. But those words that Seth read, these words, this Christ him, where Jesus says, I, I had the power of God, and I chose not to use that for my own advantage. I laid it down. I sacrificed it, willing to die on a cross to give life to this world. Here, Jesus, in verse 34, says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. So so Jesus pulls this crowd. He he has his disciples. He's just rebuked Peter. He pulls this crowd together. He turns to him and says, okay, if you want to follow me, we might walk out this door and we might pick up a cross and we might walk to the top of the hill and be crucified there. Are, Are you really wanting to be my disciple? Do you really want to follow me? Do I mean that much to you? This is not a road I'm going on and just telling you about. This is a road, this is a path I am asking you to follow me on and become like me on. And for this first century group of followers, this was a very real cross. This was a Roman crucifixion. And for us, we've tried to make it Just this representation that you're supposed to just die to yourself. But it's so much bigger what Jesus is asking his disciples to do. I'm literally asking you to lay down your life. Be willing to give up your life for me. Do you still want to follow me? You still want to be my disciple? Do I mean that much to you? Are you that in love with me that you'll do whatever it takes for the kingdom to come in power? And, and here's the crazy thing. Is, is he says his kingdom's going to come in power through him laying down his life. And I don't know about you, but it seems so upside down. It seems so paradoxical to think that that's a display of power. Being crucified. And we talked about this paradox. Here's the paradox. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel We'll save it. We we talk so much about what we need to do to be saved. And Jesus talks about what we need to do to be saved. It's this surrender. It's this giving up your will and your way. See, here's the thing. You can work and work and work and work and work and work. To give yourself a better life. Because in our mind, there's got to be a better way. Death, surrender cannot be the answer. We, We have to find a different way to get there. We need power. 
or we need position, or we need the right relationships, or we need politics, or we need money, or we need to work hard to get ahead. We need strength. We need intellect. And Jesus says, no, there is another way. Okay, well, where is it? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. I don't know about you, but the implications of that scare me to death. And I can find so many different ways to spin it and to rationalize it and to make it palatable. Something that I can deal with. But what he promises in that moment, if we're willing to surrender, to die, to lay down our life, that he will fill us up and his power will then be made perfect in our weakness. There is a different way. It cannot be a cross. It must be a throne. It must be through power and strength. It can't be a splintery cross. But he asks you, if you want to follow him, to lay it down. To give it up. To say and to understand there is a better way, the Jesus way. See, and, and here's the danger of not following is that you could forfeit your soul. Remember verse 36, he says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? And my whole life I've heard that. And I've thought, okay, so we, we come to the end, and then we, we lose our soul because we've done so much. Understand this. The truth is, you forfeit your soul long before death. And the, the truth of it is it's this slow, gradual fade day by day where we give our hearts and our minds and our strength and our soul to things other than Jesus. And I'll just tell you, just, just completely honest, it's one of my biggest struggles. My guess is, it's one of your biggest struggles. Because you wake up every day not thinking, you know what? Today I'm going to chase after some things that really, probably in the grand scheme of things, don't mean that much to me. In, in the long run, I mean, they're, they're not bad in and of themselves. They're, they're good things. But I'm going to give my heart and my soul to them. And there's this slow, gradual 
close your eyes for me for a second. Can you remember back to when you were baptized? Do you remember going into the water? Do you remember coming out? I remember back for me. And going in, there was this fear, but excitement of I'm now a part of something bigger than myself. This body of Christ that's transforming and changing the world. And you came out of that water, and there was this passion and excitement of, man, we get to be a part of this. This is amazing. God has invited us into this journey. And then day by day, that excitement slowly fades away. And it's no longer this adventure of, oh, I can't wait to be a part of this. It just becomes another level of your identity. And we think, man, it's power, wealth, position, all those things, they will give us life. But listen, if you give your life to the pursuit of these desires, they will suffocate your soul. And it will happen so slowly and so gradually, you'll wake up one day thinking, how did I ever get here? Have you, have you lost sight of that first love? Have you given up that the way of Jesus is still the way to life? Thinking there has to be a better way. This couldn't possibly change the world. I ask you just to remember back. Not, not just to your baptism, but Jesus' baptism. This baptism on a cross where he laid down his life and was raised because we believe, listen, the reason we're gathered this morning is because we believe that moment changed the world forever. We lost sight of it. See, my hope this morning is that this brings us back and it recenters us on what truly matters. And if you've lost sight of it, if you've been searching and searching for a better way to make sure God's kingdom comes in power, we remember that God's kingdom came in power 
through a cross. And the one who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. So now we're going to move to a table. And it's this table that reminds us that we gather around a table where we're unified. We're joined together by a cross. Regardless of where we're from, regardless of what's going on in our life, we come as one, unified, made whole by the body and blood of Christ. 